came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. We're waiting for that Easter parade on Fifth Avenue. We have a great show for you today. Eric Schuffler talking about the ferry hawks. Steve Cates talking about the skies. We have Peter King, we congressman. And Dick Morris talking about Washington, what's going on with the presidential elections. And a special Message from Cardinal Dolan for Easter Sunday. And Mike Stoller will start off and talk about real estate. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning I have the honor of having Martin Nussbaum, who is the co-founder and principal of Slate Property Group and Scale Lending. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us and my listeners what you're feeling of the market today, especially in light of Silicon Valley Bank, in light of uh, Signature Bank and the other changes taking place. I mean, it's a very unsettling time. I think um, we're looking at a moment in time that's unique and historic to a certain extent. Um, So I think we've digested what I think is the worst of all of it. Um, And I think we're now really focused on how to take an opportunity um, in this market and make smart investments. Um, I think there will be still some fallout and some time that we need to get through some choppy water, but I think we're ready to uh, start looking at opportunities as opposed to being defensive at this point. Are there opportunities for buyers or sellers? The answer is there's not an opportunity on either yet that is sort of very fluid. I think the opportunities that are coming are going to come for for buyers, particularly being a seller today is very challenging. I think you're only selling if you're sort of forced to sell or you have a new, very unique opportunity that um, you're able to monetize. You've been very active in a number of markets, okay? Where do you see the multifamily, especially in light of the 2019 legislation and the fact that, you know, it's very difficult to develop without 421As? I think it's actually very good for the existing inventory that's in the market, speaking specifically about the 421A. Without 421A, it's nearly impossible to build new rentals. So the existing supply that's in the market, I think is gonna do very well. We have historically stayed away from any rent stabilized assets. So we're not very intimately involved in investment, investing in that space. But even that itself, I think the, the laws have changed. They've been digested. I think values have adjusted accordingly. And I think, you know, I'm hearing and seeing um, buildings trade that are fully stabilized as well. What's happening with the lending market, especially since you're on both sides of the coin? It's interesting on the lending side as a lender. It's very challenging on the equity side when we're financing deals. Um, This is a moment in time where um, relationship lending is very, very important for us on the equity business. And we have been closing on a bunch of loans, on construction loans, on value-add reposition loans, on some, uh, which just closed on a large transaction that was just a neutral refinance. those are very heavily based off of lending relationships that have been long time for us and our partners. 
the lending pool of potential um, banks or, or private equity firms and debt funds is limited at this moment. So I think there's a flight to quality for both lenders and borrowers. Now, you've gone into other areas also, uh, you know, the shelters. Let's talk about that and the affordable housing. Yeah, you know, probably four or five years ago, we decided to get involved in impact investing. I think it's been an area that myself and my partner and our firm are very focused on. There's, as true New Yorkers, we feel there's a real need to sort of help the living the, the living arrangements for homeless, workforce housing, affordable housing, and everywhere in between. So our business has historically been a market rate residential building. We've expanded that into sort of the transitional housing, affordable housing. It's an area that I think New York needs a lot of help with. There's a huge amount of demand for it, um, a lack of supply. So we're focused on creating new homes, not just acquiring existing buildings. So we're actually developing brand new transitional housing for various different components of the homeless world as well as building ground up affordable housing in the sort of 40 to 60% AMI range, which is appropriate to sort of help people have cost uh, a cost of, of rental across all spectrums of the market. Uh, with regard to asset classes, what's your thought about retail, especially as an owner and also as a lender? I like the retail space. I think retail has been repriced and reset. Uh, we own hundreds of stores throughout New York, I think once you've accepted what the market rents are, there's actually a pretty interesting amount of new renters coming to the retail market at the appropriate pricing. That adjustment and acceptance of the new pricing has taken time, and I think it's actually worked its way through the market over the last 10 years. It, it was challenged pre-COVID. It became extremely challenged during COVID, and I think there's been a reset there. I'm not afraid of the retail market, and I think it's actually an interesting investment opportunity. You, with regard to the... The, the new projects. Let's talk about some of the projects, some condominiums that you're involved with. Yeah, we, we are about to break ground on a, a really boutique, um, small condo project in the West Village um, that I think is going to be a very interesting opportunity, um, pretty unique. We're, we're, and from a condo side, we're very focused on small, unique um, Class A locations. And at what prices? Um, you know, we'll be in the mid 2000s, you know, in that range, depending on where the market is at the time. Like the benefit is we're just starting the work now. So we'll probably be hitting the market in 18 to 24 months, which is, a, in my hope, is a better time to be doing that. Right. As a lender, where do you see the opportunities? I think there's a for us, we're seeing a unique opportunity to have very high qualified borrowers um, at much lower leverage points than we've historically been lending for the last five to six years. Again, I think that that's a moment in time sort of post all of the events that have occurred in the last 60 days. Um, I think that that will probably continue through the balance of this year. So we're going to stick to what we have historically done, which is um, residential construction, residential conversions, bridge to completion, bridge to stability. Um, and we're going to focus on quality assets. Now, yeah, one area that you really haven't gone into is the hospitality or the industrial. What's yeah. your thoughts about those two categories? You know, when we look at our business, we were, we considered a bunch of different options when the time came for to think about how to pivot it. Um, our business originated with the acquiring of existing multifamily buildings as well as ground up of market rate. Um, we decided to stay focused on the asset class that we really understand inside and out and expand that business into both the debt side as well as our impact and affordable side. Um, I like the hospitality space at a certain basis. I think it's pretty interesting. Industrial, you know, we've never been involved with, so I don't have a very strong viewpoint on it. 
So if uh, do you believe other banks are going to be selling their loans? Since, since, since Signature is selling their loans, do you think we're going to see a focus by other banks to sell loans? I do. I think that banks are going to have a requirement from the FDIC to sort of shore up their balance sheets. So I think the way to do that is going to be through selling of some of the credit positions. Now, are, are, are banks right now lending, especially in light of the banking problems that we have in general? I mean, or they're holding back? I think there's a very big change in the in the requirements and the allowance of what banks are doing right now. I think most banks are not lending at this current moment. I think there's going to be a pause in the market for at least another 30 to 60 days until the dust settles properly um, and the banks feel more comfortable with sort of their balance sheets and what they're allowed to do. And I think, as you said earlier at the start of the program, relationship lending and relationships are very important. And I'd like to thank Martin Nussbaum for being here today. Thank, Thank you, you very much for having me. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he's with us every week to, to, to talk about what's going on in our solar system, our planets, and one interesting guy. Steve, good morning on a Sunday morning. How are you today? I'm doing great, John, and let me be the first of many people to wish all the listeners the most blessed Easter and the most blessed Passover, a very special time as we move into spring of 2023. But John, it's so interesting talking the big news in NASA, of course, is the selection of the new crew that will replicate a mission which we had back in November called the Artemis One spacecraft, which went beyond the moon itself, you know, orbited the moon. But this time we have actually a whole new crew that NASA selected. And how about this? The first female astronaut among them, her name is Christina Koch, and her backstory is she might even be, John, we'll follow her, maybe the first female to actually land on the moon when they go back with Artemis III. But the crew consists of Commander Reed Weissman, the first African-American in space up as far as a lunar mission, Victor Glover, and as I mentioned, Christina Koch as a mission specialist, and then a Canadian, Jeremy Hansen, set to launch hopefully by sometime around November of next year. All excitement, John, as always, with the space program. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And when is this supposed to happen? Uh, and, and I understand they're only going to circle the moon and come back. Is that correct? That is correct, John. The answer is probably as early as November of 2024. And what you really need to do is shake down the spacecraft, as they say in the parlance of you know, NASA's uh, you know, words of getting everything on board that spacecraft to work right. The last mission didn't have humans. It had actually dummies on board, which were doing uh, sensing and all kinds of you know, medical tests and things like that for future astronauts. So it is the gateway to the moon, and if all goes well, in my opinion, this might be a little more optimistic than maybe people think. The landing on the moon with Artemis three is supposed to take place in 2025. I'm an eternal optimist to have them do that, but things might go a little slower if indeed all these things don't check out in this particular shakedown cruise. Well, that, that's amazing. 2025, uh, that's how many years later than uh, the... The Kennedy, you know, when John Kennedy sent the, our astronauts to the moon, that's what, 55 years? Well, or? Absolutely, John. Think about this. The last crew to go to the surface of the moon was Apollo 17 back in the early 70s. And that consisted of uh, Eugene Cernan and also the first geologist, uh, Harrison Schmidt, who later became a United States senator. Sadly, uh, Gene Cernan passed on, but uh, we might find out that Harrison Schmidt He's still alive. It's been a heck of a long time and long overdue in many people's estimation. 
Is there any uh, uh, advance uh, where on the moon they want to land this time? John, the most uh, descriptive answer to that is, and the most accurate answer is, we've been talking about, that is, the space program and other space programs, even China. They're talking about this area to the southern pole of the moon called the Aitken Basin. And simply, this is an area of the moon that's pretty much in darkness. And they would land there for reasons because they've actually detected this permafrost, if you want to call it, more specifically, like some sort of water ice on the surface of the moon. It seems to be a place that astronauts would want to go. And the reason also is the temperatures on the moon. When we saw the Apollo program, we found out that obviously they didn't land during high noon because the temperature there gets up to over the boiling point of water over 212 Fahrenheit. So this area on the south pole of the moon is conducive for many reasons. They can actually keep the temperatures a little bit stabilized, more so than being in high direct sunlight. But closer to home, we always talk, John, about the mystery of the week. And this one centers around the beautiful romance of the whole season of Easter and the blessed time of Passover. And we find out that the original date of Easter, or how it's configured, is simply this. It's the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. In simple language, it means it's the first full moon after the beginning of spring, which happened March 20th. That beautiful pink moon, or Pascal moon, as we call it, happened on the 6th. And then we find, naturally, the next Sunday is this Sunday that we're talking about right now. But in the Orthodox world and the church there, the great celebration happens always after Passover. That is a Sunday after Passover. And that, according to the calendar, goes on to the 16th of April. What a beautiful time to share this. But the Paschal, the word itself, John, comes from an Aramaic word, I should say, which is known as Pascha. And this one absolutely means the Passover. And it's so symbolic that we look at this beautiful full moon of days gone by, the pink moon, to celebrate this most joyous and very what? Very special uh, time, very sacred time for many of the religions of the world. It's just a beautiful time to explore and what? Open people's minds and expand their minds on these great subjects. Uh, Steve Case, one last question. I heard the other day that there's a new theory that the Titanic sunk for another reason. Have you heard John, about this, that? Yes, this is really amazing. Astronomers, and they always come up with theories, but here it is pretty simple. The moon, before the Titanic sank, if we go back to that date and time in 1912, the moon just a week or two before that was at its closest position to the Earth in not all of history, but very, very close. So why would that be important? And the astronomers go on to theorize, that's the word, theorize, that the melting of the ice, all these glaciers, that of course the Titanic hit one rather large one. Remember, we only see uh, the top part of the glacier, 90% of it is still under the ocean. But in this particular case, John, the gravity tug of the moon on the Earth, which does have a very symbolic tug, we know about tides, this theory states that because that happened, it might have been more inducive and inductive to pull some of these glaciers that broke off these big pieces of ice called icebergs, and that their theory continues that there was probably more of those, more than likely because of the extra tug that the moon had on the Earth, one of many theories of a sad date in history on a ship that we all know that was obviously named Titanic, where nobody, nothing could sink it, allegedly, but sadly, things turned out differently. And the other story that you may not know, then you should study about it, the Titanic was really not the ship that was meant to be the Titanic. 
You know, John, that's fascinating. I need to do more homework, and it sounds fascinating that that could be a show unto itself, right? <laughs> it was a sister ship of the Titanic that they renamed the Titanic because the Titanic wasn't ready. But do your homework. Maybe we'll report it to our audience next week. Have a great uh, Easter uh, or Passover, whatever you celebrate. And uh, thank you so much for coming on in Easter Sunday. Well, thank you, John. Go to WABCRadio.com for the Dr. Sky experience, more in-depth information, and again, a blessed day to you and the listeners and this season. Thank you. God bless. Four is one, two, three strikes, you're out of the old You're listening to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Countdown. 21 days till the opening of the Ferry Hawks. In Staten Island, with us uh, today is Eric Shuffler, who runs the team on a day-to-day basis. Eric, 21 days. Are you ready? We are so ready, John. 21 days, three weeks to New York's professional baseball team with our partners, the New York Yankees, with the best view in baseball. Uh, Awesome night ahead of us. Friday, April 28th. And uh, and I understand during the week you signed up another local uh, uh, player. We've had a bunch of major signings this week. We signed a, a kid who hit 400 in the minor leagues last year, and a local legend, Kevin Krause, led Tottenville to a city championship, played with the Pirates in their minor league system, hit over 300 last few years, coming home to help bring a championship run to the local, uh, to the fans who grew up watching him play. So really excited to bring Kevin back. When was the last time Staten Island had a World Series of baseball? I don't know, but do you think we can get a parade down Richmond Terrace uh, when we win this or talk to Mayor Adams? We'll talk to Mayor Adams. We'll talk to the borough president and uh, uh, Vito Fasella and... I'm sure we can get something going. Uh, you know, our manager, former New York Yankee, Homer Bush, was a 1998 World Series champion. He has a little bit of experience with those parades. Maybe he can help also. Well, I look forward to it. And uh, let me tell you, I went to the Yankee opener last week, and the food was so good, I ate too much. <laughs> uh, is the food going to get even better? The food will at, be at the Ferry Hawk Stadium. You know, Staten Island takes their food really seriously. So we have a lot of local Staten Island vendors, Kettle Black, Hobra, Flower and Oak, top-notch burritos, top-notch pizza, the best wings in the five boroughs at Kettle Black. So what, the food is going to be outstanding. What What is a baseball game without a great hot dog? Nathan's World Famous Hot Dogs. We'll have plenty of them, popcorn, Cracker Jacks, peanuts. It is all-American, affordable, family fun. On Staten Island. Well, that's what we're doing. And, and it's affordable. I'm not going to say the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the the major league games are not affordable, but you are known to be an affordable way for Staten Islanders and, and lower Manhattanites and Brooklynites and what is it called? New Jerseyites? New Jerseyites. And uh, we look forward. April, April 28th, we're going to have a, a grand opening for the weekend, April 28th, Friday night. Saturday and Sunday? All weekend we're home. Saturday we're working with the nonprofit autism community. We're breaking a world record for the largest jigsaw puzzle. Sunday, kids under 12 go free. They run the bases, pregame catch on the field, team autographs, uh, family fun all weekend, affordable prices, affordable tickets, great food, great value. And tell me, how can people get tickets now? 
ferryhawks.com, F-E-R-R-Y-H-A-W-K-S.com, ferryhawks.com. Eric Schiffler, thank you for coming on, and uh, I'm looking forward to those hot dogs on April 28th, grand opening day. Play ball, go Ferry Hawks, go Staten Island, go WABC. Who do we have now, Rita? Now we have a New York Councilman, Bob Holden, of course, Democrat of Queens. And he has some stunning numbers also of the impact of migrants, illegal migrants, uh, that are being taken care of in New York City, courtesy of American taxpayers and New York City taxpayers. Uh, joining us now is the Councilman. Councilman, great to have you here. Um, it is really amazing about uh, the cost that it is uh, taking on New York City. And you kind of, you wrote, basically talked about the draining of our resources. Talk about that. Well, it's a, it, it's a bottomless pit at this point. How, when does it end? Uh, we have, uh, we spent now, we're spending $4.3 billion, I think, when the smoke clears. And it's going to go probably into $5 billion, uh, area territory. So 55,000 migrants so far. Uh, 30, maybe 33,000 are now in 100 emergency shelters. How long can this go on, Rita and John? How long do the taxpayers of New York City and the United States have to pay for this? Council Member, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm fine. The The issue seems to me is that the border crisis is now alive and well in New York City. You have a Biden administration that refuses to enforce the immigration laws, refuses to support national security and national borders. Without national borders, you do not have a country. We have a fentanyl crisis. We have a gang crisis. We have a lawlessness crisis coming over the border. And they're just looking the other way. And New York will continue to suffer because they keep dispersing the people from who are illegals throughout the whole country. So New York is just one place that's going to suffer. Yeah, and very few people are talking about this, Judge, that we have people on the terror watch list. We're catching them, but a lot are getting through. You have to, you know, really kind of reason that we're catching some of them, but not all of them. So if you look at at the years uh, from 2016, from October 2016 to October 2020, uh, 11 people we caught crossing the border. Now it's in the hundreds. Uh, in just like one year, I just talked about four years, 11 people. Now, in one year, it could even be 100. How many people did it take? How many terrorists did it take to bring down the World Trade Center buildings? It took 19 terrorists to do the attacks on the United States. And we're letting in hundreds of terror people who are, you know, on Maybe the terror thousands. watch list. We didn't catch Maybe them. thousands. Yeah, by the way, uh, the number of gotaways, they believe these are the ones that, like, you can't have no track of. It's over a million that right. they believe. I mean, think about just as you said, a million people. Those are the worst of the worst because they don't even want to get caught. Even the ones who get caught, they know they just get a slap on the wrist. Right. And a sovereign nation should be able to pick and choose the people that we want to immigrate into the United States. Right. We should. You know, let's say we uh, I said this before. We need nurses. You know, we need certain people in different uh, areas uh, of industry. Let's bring those people in. We're bringing in the poor, and we don't even know who these people are, by the way. We're bringing in so many poor people, mostly single men. And by the way, they can't work. So they can't work on the books, by the way. So the city is actually looking at this and saying, you know, we're, we're telling them they have to work off the books. I thought that was oh illegal. Oh, my God. 
I mean, it's an insult to the American people. Councilman Robert Holden, thank you very much for your common sense. Keep fighting for common sense and have a great Easter weekend. Thank you so much. Happy Easter to all. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers interviewed by New York's first citizen. It's the Cats Roundtable. Ave Maria, piena di grazia. We have uh, His Eminence, uh, Archbishop of New York, Cardinal Dolan. Uh, your Eminence, uh, welcome to WABC. I saw Margot last week at a christening, and she looks like a million bucks. Thanks be to God for her help. Well, did, huh? we, did we lose money? I thought it was a billion. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give you a billion because you'd give me 10%. You're so generous. <laughs> oh, but I was so if happy we, to see if, that. If we, if we can get to live to 100, me and you together, I'll give you 20%. <laughs> you know what you and I and, and Andrew, I I trust. I don't know him as well as I know you, John. We don't have to worry about living to 100 because we're going to live for eternal life. In the studio with us, we have WABC uh, President uh, Chad Lopez, too. And, uh, he Hi, is- Chad. Hey. Nice to hear you. Good morning, Thanks Cardinal. for all you do. No, thank you. Thanks for all you do. John, when do our Orthodox buddies? Uh, are you are you next week this uh, year? We follow. Uh, we're, we are next week. Uh, the Orthodox yeah. always follow uh, the uh, Passover. We're a week later. Well, I'm so glad you are following the Jews and the Catholics. It is so good. I am so glad. You you keep following us. you got good common sense. Well, you know, uh, it's just like in uh, Morocco. We, the women uh, follow us ex- except when there's minefields in front. <laughs> That's what I turn into a dog lover. <laughs> you know, Cardinal, one of the best stories that I've seen over the last couple of months was this Eucharistic, I guess it's being investigated as a miracle, but what happened uh, in Connecticut, I think it's the Diocese of Hartford. What, what are I your thoughts that. on that with the host multiplying? Well, look, here's the thing. As you know, the church is very uh, sensitive and scrupulous about mm-hmm. miracles. We we got to make sure that, that they're true. We don't like, we never want miracles to turn into superstition. But, right. but what this is good is that it reminds us of the possibility of the miraculous. We're about to celebrate the greatest miracle of all with the resurrection of a man who died in agony on the cross. And it's good to know that miracles continue. And I don't particularly know about this one. Right. You're right. I'm fascinated by it. And apparently, the uh, at this particular parish, the crowd was big. That's a miracle. Right. The crowd was huge. And they were running out of the Blessed Sacrament, Holy Communion. And the... Um, and apparently the host just miraculously multiplied. Right. Now, that's not new, because remember the miracle of the loaves and fish, when Jesus took this, the, uh, five, the, the, the seven loaves and the two fish and multiplied them and fed 5,000, which, 
miracle he used to teach us about the Holy Eucharist Mm -hmm. so that there would be kind of a multiplication. Wow, it's rather biblical here. Now, my buddy, the Archbishop of Hartford, is is Archbishop Leonard Blair, who is an extraordinarily thoughtful, wise, intelligent man. And I understand he took it seriously enough to say, hey, we need to look into this. We don't exactly know the outcome, but let's see what's going on here. So I look forward to hearing about it. Last night, Holy Thursday, last supper, we uh, celebrated the institution of the Eucharist. So it's kind of good this is this is in people's uh, radar your eminence uh, your eminence uh, we seems so divided in the world right now in our country right now what can we do to bring the world together the country together uh, it seems like we're almost a civil war it does john it does you know what today we need to look at the cross the cross is a sign of contradiction. You talk about division. Well, the cross is the icon of division. It's a, it's two beams of wood at odds against each other going different direction. Jesus brought unity from the division of the cross. John, you ain't going to be surprised. You, you asked, you, you invited me probably because you know I'm going to talk about God. We're in trouble because we've forgotten about God. Mm-hmm. We're in trouble because we think we're gods. We're in trouble because uh, we don't we haven't paid any attention to God's commandments and his teachings and his expectations. We're in trouble because we've got a powerful segment in society who scorns religion, who snickers at faith, who believes that anything we want, anytime, with anybody, anywhere, any place, is ours by right. We've forgotten responsibility. We've emphasized rights. Both are important, but it's we're in title to things, we got a right to things, and we have forgot responsibility, and most of all, we've forgotten about God. And until we return to Him, our Jewish brothers and sisters constantly read in their scriptures the invitation from God, come back to me with all your heart. And that's what we need to hear, the, that invitation to return to the Lord. This nation John and Andrew and David, this nation, while we prize uh, the fact that we do not have an established religion, that's for sure. While we have the, uh, while we have kind of that principle, even though it's not the constitution of separation of church and state, and while we appreciate that, we do not have separation of faith and morality from public life. And this nation is great because it's always respected the role of conviction, virtue, value, faith, and religion in the public square. And now we got people pushing that out. So don't say to me, uh, why, why are we in this mess? We're in this mess because we ain't Creation is in its mess because we ain't paying attention to the Creator. Creatures are in a mess because we're not we're not paying paying attention to our Creator. That's my read on it. You're not surprised to hear it. That happens to be my business. So and, and you know, bringing your business is giving people hope, bringing people together, mm-hmm. and you do a, a terrific job. Well, you're kind to say that, John, and that's because I got the help of great people like you who are always there when people are in need. And we got we got uh, we got places like this, a public square like your radio, where people can talk sensibly with common sense about stuff. And, and that's what it's all about is common sense. And lately, you common sense is it. not all that common. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and I had Professor Dershowitz on uh, before, and and uh, he uh, he's abhorred of what's going on in the legal yeah. profession. 
because the word ethics, he taught ethics for 35 years at Harvard, and the word ethics doesn't exist right now in in the legal profession. We don't want anybody to talk about right and wrong. We don't want anybody to talk about kind of that ingrained sense of right and right and wrong that's that's deep in the human heart. Oh no, everything's up for grabs. We define what's right. We define what's wrong. Don't you dare impose your values on me while everybody's trying to impose their values on people of faith. Uh, uh, Alan's right, and he's got immense credibility because he's he's hardly a, a hard core conservative. He's been in the middle of the the legal the legal profession so the disappearance of ethics and morality faith and values darn it why are we surprised that we see everything in a mess so uh, let me ask you a quick pop culture question here cardinal dolan you know my father uh-huh. absolutely loves the show chosen so does my wife i've been catching kind of uh, the occasional episode with her have you been watching this show chosen my father keeps saying this guy's my kind of jesus over here <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. I hear the same thing. I have not watched them, but I'm going to tell you this. Usually on my coffee table, I got the books I want to read during vacation, which I usually try to take two or weeks or so in July. Now did, I, I, did I send you my book, Your Eminence? You sent me your book, but I don't read that in vacation. I read that for penance over a left. That's great. <laughs> I got the chosen on my coffee table to watch on the vacation. I'll go you one better. I've met the Jesus character, and I've met his folks, and he I've had him on my own program and my own radio and TV program, and he is dynamite, and he's very close to one of the men I'm going to ordain a priest in a month, so and he's going to be at the ordination, so I look forward to having, having a glass of wine with him afterwards, and if I don't have wine, I'll just get a, a mug of water and ask him to change it into wine. So. <laughs> and if he fails, he fails the test. There you go. Then we know the show's a fraud. But I hear it's magnificent, and people are saying, wow, it really brings the humanity to the to the Bible, to the Gospels, to the person of Christ, who we believe is both true God and true man. So I'm looking forward to watching it. And uh, everything you do for all New York, for your entire uh, archdiocese. And, uh, you are gracious. Thanks we're there to, you, to help John. you, and we're there to get the message out with you. You always come through, and a a blessed uh, uh, Easter and Passover to everybody, okay? Today, Easter Sunday, with us today is Congressman Peter King. We celebrated his birthday the other day, and uh, today we're celebrating Easter. Uh, How are you, uh, Congressman King? Well, I'm a year older, but I feel good. As far as I know, I'm a good help, and I'm, uh, again, it's always great to celebrate Easter. It's uh, Passover and Easter coming together. Both are... uh, Feasts and holy days to celebrate. Uh, Easter is a day of hope, of uh, spirits being uplifted, and it's uh, it's to me one of the most positive holy days, uh, most uh, meaningful days of the year for me and for my family. And I know that uh, there's the uh, a, a Catholic or Christian uh, Easter. It, you know, the traditional one is today, and I'll join you celebrate Greek Easter two weeks from now. And well, to me, Greek the more Easter, we have, the better. Greek Easter always follows Passover, uh, because the Catholic Church, I understand, changed the calendar, and uh, the Jews and the Greeks left the calendar the same, and I, I just don't know, but you know what I do? I celebrate all of them. Why not? Why not? I, I, you know? And with so much going wrong and so much trouble in the world today, 
to me, the most positive day of the year is Easter. So we can celebrate it once or twice. You know, the more the better, really, just to give us a better look at life and better, you know, you know more hope uh, you know, for the future as, as we go forward in this very dangerous world today. My God, it's really, uh, really tough at times. But uh, listen, we have to be hopeful. And uh, also, you know, there's a lot going on. And I mean, you know, this last week in New York, uh, I think it's only New York that handled it this well. The, uh, you know, the indictment of President Trump, which I, I think is just wrong in every regard. But even apart from the, you know, the legalities of it, the way you know, the NYPD and the court officers and uh, really everyone in New York handled uh, uh, President Trump come in from LaGuardia, I guess it was on uh, uh, Tuesday, it was, I guess. I'm losing track of days here. But he came in from LaGuardia with a motorcade from LaGuardia Airport to Trump Tower. And then the uh, next day, I guess it was Monday, he came in to LaGuardia, then uh, Trump Tower overnight. And uh, again, the motorcade, the helicopters overhead. The streets blocked off. In fact, when I was on the way to the studio on Monday, I was coming down Second Avenue, and I got caught in the uh, motorcade, which is coming across Fifty Fifth Street. And it was again impressive to see, though, the way the police had it all like cordoned off. And as as big as the motorcade was, and as much as traffic was being blocked, it was only about a five minute delay, five or ten minute delay, the most. Well, you you and got lucky. I, I've been stuck in those motorcades for much longer than that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have been too. Yeah. It's just crazy on uh, all the things that are going on. Um, and then the next day, though, Trump, you know, the, the helicopters overhead, or they got they got President Trump from the uh, Trump Tower down to the courthouse. Uh, again, no trouble at all. They had the demonstrators separated. The NYPD did a great job. Uh, court officers worked out everything in the courtroom. The president was back on his way, I guess, at 3.30, 4 o'clock to LaGuardia Airport. And he was back in Mar-a-Lago. But I don't know. If, any other city could have handled something like that the way New York did. So I give the mayor and the police commissioner tremendous credit. And again, all the people of New York, no one, no one seemed to panic. No one was overly excited. There were some strong feelings, but the NYPD kept the demonstrators away. And considering everything, it was a very, very peaceful time. It's funny uh, that uh, President uh, Trump lived on, uh, where, where was it, 58th Street? Uh, yeah, 50, sure, no, yeah. 56th Street, 58th or 56th I'm Street, sure, yeah, yeah, and 5th Avenue. And when I used to uh, do uh, uh, things with uh, President uh, Clinton, I was on 63rd Street someplace and used to tie up streets all the way down to 56th Street. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, well, Donald Trump at that time would call me and complain. <laughs> I guess I guess times have changed. All the, all the times have changed. At what time? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, look, again, uh, it, I uh, I root for for I root for Donald Trump uh, because mm-hmm. I think he could do a great job. And but my problem is uh, that he has to be able to uh, stay calm in uh, situations where they're trying to uh, steam him up. Yeah, he can't fall into the trap. I mean, they are. Uh, Definitely. I mean, there was just definitely organized efforts against him. I mean, he's being indicted for things which I'm, I say, if everything they say about it is true, it's still not a crime. These are things that no one else has ever been indicted for in this way, being charged. And this is going on in New York. Then they have another one going on in Georgia, Mar-a-Lago, Washington, D.C. This is going they on want to. Let's talk about that. They want to destroy him because I, I think they... 
They they want him to run, but they want him to be destroyed by the time he gets to run. Yeah, like, how else I would you Democrats, say? Democrats, I think Democrats would like to see a very weakened Donald Trump run for re-election. And I think about all these investigations, it's going to physically wear him down. They're hoping it's going to financially wear him down and politically wear him down. The people just say, you know, listen, maybe he's getting a bad deal, but we just can't, can't keep going through all this. So I think they, certain Democrats and certain people in the media, they want Donald Trump to be weakened because they know that a strong Donald Trump is an incredibly strong candidate with probably more uh, personal following than any candidate we've ever had in years. Uh, he also has probably more personal uh, detractors. But as far as a base of support, no one has what he has. And this is an attempt, I think, to just tear, tear away at him. No one else would be indicted for what he's being charged with. I mean, you think back, I can, I can think of without even name, uh, naming names, but so many previous presidents and people in public life who are good people, but they made mistakes or they... If you looked at them carefully enough, you would find some reason to indict them. Or they say, if you, uh, you know, give me the person and I'll find the crime. And that's what's happening here. But listen, he's a tough guy. He's going to stay tough uh, through it. His lawyer, Joe Tacopina, is a great guy. Uh, excellent lawyer. I think he's uh, probably the best he could get from New York. And then they've uh, brought in the other uh, lawyer, uh, lawyer, Blanche, I believe is his last name. And uh, he's uh, going to, I think, provide more of the... Uh, uh, arguments on you know the technicalities of the law and uh, you know business law and things like that. But as far as the overall file tactics, I think Joe Tackett is going to do a great job. And I think everybody, Democrat or Republican, you should be with Donald Trump on this one because this can happen to anyone. And uh, the, the last question I have, uh, uh, Congressman, uh, I was asked the other day, and I forget where I was, and uh, and uh, <coughs> I said ethics. Ethics amongst lawyers. When did ethics, when did they forget to start teaching it at, whether it's Harvard, Yale, or whatever? I mean, you're a lawyer. Where are we now? We are nowhere. Uh, It's really uh, right now, as far as ethics, what, you know, district attorneys and prosecutors, the way they are abusing the criminal justice system, they are, you know, the criminal justice system is supposed to be a means of defending people's rights. Instead, it's being weaponized to target political enemies. It's the exact opposite of why we have a criminal justice system. It's uh, rather than uh, defending innocent people and prosecuting the guilty, it's being used to prosecute political opponents. And that's something that goes on in banana republics and third world countries and dictatorships. It's not something that you want in the United States of America. Unfortunately, uh, it's almost becoming accepted. It's become like a almost like a sport. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump is strong. He's wealthy. He'll be able to survive this. The average person, if they get targeted, uh, you can be out of business. You can be uh, bankrupt. They go, Peter King, Congressman King, they go to jail because they can't afford to spend $10 million or $5 million on legal fees. Right. And the U.S. attorney talks them into pleading guilty to a lesser charge. And they end up going to jail even if they're innocent. Yes, and they also threaten if uh, if you don't plead guilty, they're going to go after your your wife or your children and put them through the same ringer. And again, in the end, they may be found innocent, but they have all been had their you know, their lives devastated. They have a ninety eight percent or ninety four percent, forget the number, uh, of conviction rate, conviction and rate, uh, yeah. 
So they convince everybody, you better plead guilty, otherwise you're going to go to jail for 20 years. If you plead guilty, we'll only send you to jail for three years. Right, yeah, no, it's, uh, and you just, you know, take your losses and get it over with. And it's a, it's a terrible way to have to live. It's a terrible, terrible way to have our country returned in, into that type of, uh, you know. That's not a democracy. That's not, that, no. Congressman King, that's not what we're supposed to be. It is very, very sad, and I don't know. We should have a long discussion, have, a, have maybe Dershowitz in the studio one day and a few other people and have a, a discussion just on ethics in the legal profession. Right. I agree with you 100%, John. And on today, on Easter Sunday, is a time we should really be thinking of that. How to be more hopeful, more positive, and trying to find ways to do the right thing for more people. Agree. Happy Easter. Peter King, enjoy it with your family. God bless you, and God bless America. Happy to see you and you, John, and Tamago as well, and your whole family. Thank you. We continue with Common Sense Conversation on the Cats Roundtable, where we listen to all sides. With us today is Dick Morris, and he always comes up with interesting situations. Uh, he was an advisor to President Clinton, an advisor to President Trump, and a current advisor to President Trump. And one smart guy, Dick Morris, Easter Sunday today, Passover weekend. What are you up to? Well, first, happy Easter and happy Passover and, and uh, happy Good Friday. Um, I believe that uh, Biden now has a serious internal problem on his hands in his pursuit of the Democratic nomination for president next year. Everybody's assuming that he's got it locked up if he wants it. And the question is, does he want to run? But there's something very interesting happening. You have a, a, a now a well-known alternative, Bobby Kennedy Jr., carrying a hell of a name and challenging a bite. Now, with the two bases of his candidacy are also both pretty popular. Um, one is water pollution. He uh, was the head of a group called River Keepers. And it was his initiative and his persistence that led to the cleanup of the Hudson River. Uh, you can now swim in it and fish in it, certainly in the upstate areas. And uh, the North River Pollution Plant on 145th Street was built largely because of Kennedy's urging. And now he's on another crusade, which is against mandatory vaccination. And that the anti-vaxxers were marginalized in the past, but now with mandatory vaccination, they've come back into mainstream. So, I think uh, is that Bobby Kennedy's now? Because I have, uh, you know, you, people with I, I have not talked to him in a while. Is that his main thing now? Uh, is yeah. it not uh, environment is. anymore? It's but not uh, anything else. It's just vaccines. To broaden his agenda now that he's running against Biden. And um, I think that he could be a symbolic protest against Biden. you got to remember that in John McLaughlin's polling, among Democratic primary voters, not Republicans, not independents, Democrats who vote in primaries, only 25% vote for Biden. And 75% distribute their votes over the other 13 candidates. Michelle wins 15. Uh, Kamala wins 9. Uh, AOC wins five, Hillary wins six, Buttigieg wins seven, and so on. So even with no real opponent, he's only getting 25% of the vote. 
And I think that shows real vulnerability. And I think Bobby Kennedy could be just the guy to exploit that and to absolutely raise hell in the Democratic primary. And that might well lead to Biden pulling out. It's all it's all possible, but we still don't know. Uh, meanwhile, um, maybe you give me your comment on this, is the fact that uh, uh, our friend from uh, DeSantis in Florida and Newsom from California are swinging it out amongst yeah. themselves. Is that a different war? Yeah, they are. But there's something interesting about Newsom. He wants to be the Democratic candidate for president. And he has a strategy to do it called bribery. Uh, the uh, the California legislature is about, has a committee that's about to suggest $360,000 checks for every single black citizen of California uh, because they great, 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 great counted out eight times. Grandparents were enslaved. And so this well, is good California against evil again. This is well, good against evil again, the craziness. This will carry over to South Carolina, which is the first in the nation delegate primary right after New Hampshire. And it's 60% black vote. So I think Newsom is doing this to lay the basis for winning the South Carolina primary and getting the nomination for himself. He's basing it squarely on the most callous kind of cash handouts you can imagine. What we're talking about good against evil again, or craziness, bizarro world versus sane world, uh, which is a different word than good against evil, uh, is the Chicago election, because there was a final, because there was 100,000 uncounted votes. I mean, I just assumed there was another step in Chicago. Well, you know, you're on, it's it's early in the morning, it's it's early in the morning, Sunday morning, you're going to be on at noontime on WABCradio.com, maybe you can figure it out by then. I will, okay. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I'll be listening to you at 12 noon on WABCradio.com, 77 WABC. Thank you so much. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Metropolitan Local Edition of the Cats Roundtable. We'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.